Hello, everyone. This is Rick with the CyberPro Podcast. We're still here on site at the Hacker Dojo with the Pacific Hackers Association. And my guest right now is actually one of the honored speakers for the Pacific Hacker Conference. Let's get to it right away. Question number one, who are you and what do you do? Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. First off, so my name is Tom DeGlino. I'm the founder of uh, Havoc, which is uh, basically a couple of things going there. I got a Havoc podcast. You can find out more at Havoc.fm, but uh, I also have developed an open source platform for automating adversary emulation. It's basically a cloud native open source tool that enables you to, to try to recreate the things that attackers are going to do in you know a typical network that you're looking to defend just to make sure that you can actually detect and defend you know the things that that are going to get thrown at you nice how did you get your start in cybersecurity yeah so it's funny i was kind of always interested in in cyber like i've got a background in uh, i took a, a uh, vocational program actually went through a vocational program uh, that was electronics and computer science oriented right and so I actually don't even have a bachelor's degree I just got an associate's degree that was a very long time ago um, <laughs> but when I did that you know I, I got lucky in terms of getting into the workforce at this uh, value-added reseller and I had an opportunity to touch lots of things right so I was able to get my hands on you know Windows systems Linux systems you know full domains uh, Windows domains, um, you know, we were doing installs of that stuff, uh, networking installs, like I built wide area networks for companies. And so I, I, it just gave me an opportunity to, to see a lot of different environments and, and work with a lot of different people. And as I was going through that, I had this um, just always this kind of innate curiosity for this notion that there was like, you know, some kind of underground world that wasn't, you know, exposed or obvious to me or whatever. And I just had to find out more about it, you know, and that that's really what started it. And then um, somewhere along the line, I got, uh, I got an opportunity at a SOC for a managed security services provider. But the way that opportunity came up and I, the thing that I always encourage people to consider is, be willing to do the job nobody else wants to do, right? And and in that particular instance, it was a grave shift. Like nobody wanted to work the grave shift with like odd days off and stuff like that. And so the opportunity came up and and I jumped at it. And uh, and that was around uh, late 2000, early 2001. Uh, the economy was in the dumps, you know, like really, really bad situation for most folks. And it actually created an opportunity for me to like reinvent myself and, and go you know, kind of leap into the next level of my career. And uh, yeah, kind of rest is history, but uh, nothing like sitting in a sock, um, you know, again, access to a lot because it was an MSSP, you know, monitoring lots of different customer environments, seeing lots of different types of things um, and, and responding to live attacks against lots of different types of systems, right? And it was a really, really good, you know, like sink or swim kind of introduction into this world. Nice. Yeah. And, and the reason I asked that question was simply because I knew you had a had a, a different background than just going to a college and, and jumping in. And, and I think it's important that our, our community understands that there's so many different paths into cybersecurity. And so let's jump into why you love being a cyber pro today. Yeah. So and what you just said, I think actually a lot of it comes from that. The fact that there's no, you know, there's no set path, right? And um, it's definitely one of the things I love about cybersecurity is you can just pick a discipline that you're you're particular inter particularly interested in and just go down that rabbit hole and keep going. <laughs> There's always something more to learn, you know, always something more to discover, right? And so 
Yeah, it really is a great industry for, you know, there are people in this business that that have expertise in, in application programming, right? And and they go down the application security realm. And then there are people that, that have backgrounds that seem like they're not related to cyber at all. Like I know people that, that come from the like, uh, psychology, uh, you know, kind of discipline that that end up, you know, focusing on a lot of the social engineering sort of stuff, right? And it's, you know, not necessarily highly technical, but but it's cyber through and through, you know. Right. So that, that just there's no end to you know the fascinating things that you can encounter in a in a particular day, right? That's absolutely what I love about it. It's great. Nice. So. The world talks about cybersecurity is a top concern, but what does that mean to you? Yeah, well, you know, so that's funny. I, you know, being here at, at Pacific Hackers, like I literally just did a talk on this. Um, one of the things that I covered was, you know, it was a breach that happened quite a while ago. It was an Anthem Health breach. It was back in 2015 that that was originally reported. Um, 80 million patient records exposed as a result of that, but you know, that the underlying motivation behind it was pretty nefarious, right? Um, it was a nation state driven attack. Uh, and, you know, ultimately they used that information to cross-reference it with, you know, the nation state that retrieved it, used it to cross-reference it with other information that they had that allowed them to identify the movements of CIA operatives through, uh, you know, Africa, Middle East, Europe, et cetera, right? And, um, and at the end of the day, like, you know, the thing that that really like sent home from or drove home for me is, you know, this very much, whether we're civilians working for civilian organizations or not, this is very much an aspect of this that is rooted in warfare, right? That was a nation state's wartime motivation to engage in espionage against a civilian organization here, right? And regardless of who the specific threat actor was, the nation state that they were originated from or whatever like that's sort of inconsequential at the end of the day this this is a an issue that we're confronted with um, by you know any number of of countries that we don't necessarily see eye to eye with or that we're at odds with or whatever and and it's you know it's not as obvious as a kinetic war that this is going on right but it's very much a, a you know <clears throat> under the surface you know, at least warfare-like activity. And and when you look at even the criminal enterprises that are engaging in this stuff, they're using the same TTPs that the nation-state actors are using, right? And so just because they have different motivations, you can't just discount it as not wartime-like activities because they're doing the same stuff. It would be like, you know, a, a country invading another country and then you know, criminals going and using the same weapons that that country used to invade another country and using them to rob a bank. <laughs> right. like, the fact that they're doing something different doesn't, I, I mean, these are practically weapons of mass destruction that are being deployed to, to carry out this kind of thing, right? Like I, so yeah, at the end of the day, like I take this, this responsibility associated with, with my role in this industry very seriously, right? It's more than just an occupation. Like it's a lifestyle for me through and through. I'm here like eating, sleeping and breathing this stuff, you know? So. That's awesome. Soldier of the cyber war yeah. right here. And a total civilian too, like no military background whatsoever. And not not that I'm like, there's nothing about war that I, I like, right? Like, so it's, it's not like a sensationalist thing where I'm right. just, yeah, you know, I'm gonna be a soldier or whatever. It just like kind of dawned on me at one point, like this is what we're up against. And if we're not 
if we don't have the appropriate perspective of what's actually involved with what we're doing, we're at a disadvantage right out of the gate, right? So yeah, that's that's some of the mindset behind that, I guess. Great. It actually is a good way to segue into this next question, which is, what insight do you want to share with our community of cyber professionals? Yeah, well, so I'd say for the, the folks that are, you know, trying to work their way up and um, and, and really establish their role in, in the field, um, kind of what you talked about earlier is like there's there's no set path, um, you know, whatever your interests are, there's probably some way to apply that in cyber, right? Um, but the thing that's, you know, sort of not obvious is, you know, there's there's this kind of expectation that um, you know you you have to have a bachelor's degree or you got to have a master's or you know there's you've got to have some kind of formal education around it in order to find your way into this business. And I'd say, like, em, just embrace the work. You know, find a find a, a problem that's difficult to solve and go immerse yourself in it. Right, put yourself out there. You know, talk to people, get get away from the screen for a little bit and <laughs> and you know come to things like like events, you know, meetups, Pacific Hackers events like this, you know, that the stuff that uh, allows you to really, you know, kind of get connected with people. And I found that when you when you put yourself out there, offer to solve problems for people, that they're, they're rarely gonna turn you down, you know. Yep. And um, and so if you just really kind of lean into the problem, uh, opportunities are abundant, right? And, you know, stop, stop thinking about what you don't have and just focus on what you can do. You know, that's, that's been, I'd say a hallmark of my career. I focus on being adaptable, um, you know, step into situations that I'm unfamiliar with and just focus on the fundamentals that I have to be able to adapt to the, what the situation needs and, look to solve a problem, right? And, Love it. you know, that's that's probably the, the biggest insight that I could share that. And I'll give you one more thing, if, please, if you don't mind. Um, so, you know, my specialty uh, is is basically security validation, right? Like this okay. is what, what I spend the majority of my time doing. Um, there's kind of a, a, an industry sort of subsector called breach and attack simulation, right? And um, so you, know, you could think of it like, there's folks that do pen testing and, and red teaming and things like that. Um, and, you know, where I think breach and attack simulation and security validation are different is that it's a, a more, uh, it's a more frequent operation that you're, you're engaging in, um, you know, pen tests tend to be a quarterly, if not yearly kind of, kind of thing. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, doing breach and attack simulation, like, you know, my, my position is, Every single time you have a change window where something is likely to change in the environment, you need to, on the back end of that, go validate your security stack and make sure that it functioned the same way it did before that change window opened, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so if you have a weekly change window, then you should be validating the effectiveness of your security stack every week, right? And um, and that's that's something that I think is just, you know, maybe the, the industry at large hasn't quite caught up to that level of thinking, right? So we, we really got to push to um, reset how we approach defining what is effective, defining what is acceptable for, you know, a, a security operation, a security engineering, you know, program, right? So that's, that's one element of it. And then the other element I would say is, um, 
because we haven't been super progressive on that front, I think as an industry, we've even at the vendor level, we've maybe gotten a little bit lazy with how we test and validate the products that we're putting out there, right? And uh, and and what I'm getting at with that is if you if you really think about how QA is done for most of the like just software development industry, right? Um, it's okay to do really discrete QA-oriented tests. When it comes to cybersecurity, it's not okay, right? Because attackers aren't attacking in, you know, discrete atomic, <laughs> right. you know, exploits. Like it's it's congruent attack activity that that there's an objective at the end of it, right? It has a start, a middle, and an end. And if you're, you know, testing your cybersecurity products that you're then rolling out to production environments just based off little snippets of what an attacker is going to do. First off, when you get that thing into the production environment, it's probably going to be an alert cannon, right? It's going to generate a crap load of noise. Um, but secondly, um, its ability to actually detect, you know, a, a cyber attacker's like objective while they're trying to actively evade that detection uh, is you know, it's going to be prone to false negatives as well, or is what I'm getting at, right? And so, yeah. so anyway, this is kind of a, you know, I bring it up as a, as an insight, I guess it's more of like a, a drum that I'm going to keep beating, like uh, a message that I want to get out there to the industry. Like, Hey, we really need to sit down and rethink how we're doing this. Um, both in our production environments where we're deploying these tools, but all the way back up to the vendor level where we're just doing basic QA of the products we're developing, right? We really got to start to look to retool these these practices and approaches. So awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> Tom, talk to me and tell me about your favorite piece of retro technology that makes you smile. So when I was a kid, I had a pinball machine. Um I thought it was the coolest damn thing in the world. And I was, I assumed my parents like spent a mint on getting this thing. It turns out like it was, it was retro then. <laughs> so they probably only dropped a couple hundred bucks on it. Right. But it was, you know, like I said, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. I loved playing that thing. Um, it only had a four uh, digit score or maybe it was a five digit score counter on it or something yeah. that was called analog and, and whatever. And so like my high score was, uh, you know, in the uh, like tens of thousands or something, you know, it was hilarious, but awesome. man, I love playing that thing. And so anyway, like anytime I see a pinball machine of any sort, you know, it really brings back great memories, but especially the vintage pinball, pinball machines are just, uh, I love seeing those things. So nice. You'll, uh, you'll have a hard time pulling me away from one at a, uh, at a company event or whatever. <laughs> Great. Tom, thank you so much for being on the CyberPro Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for watching the CyberPro Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss out on new podcasts and bonus content.